Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Jesus goes on and says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That's as far as we're going to get tonight, because this is a huge, huge subject, and it's going to take our whole study time. But hopefully by the end of our study, we're going to see the depth of Jesus' teaching here and the full counsel of God. I know that as I speak to a room this size, there's people that have been divorced or uh, maybe had more than one, and there's all those issues of, is he going to shame? Is he going to guilt? And at the same time, there are others who are going to say, is he going to be lenient on what the Scripture says? Because it's very serious and very clear about divorce. Folks, let me just tell you, if you know my heart, we're going to look at almost everywhere in the Bible that talks about this, and that's where we're going to go tonight. And I can't wait to show you the depth of God's teaching from His Word in this area. So, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Come into it with a mindset that says, Lord, what do you got in mind? Speak to my heart. Don't sit there, which we have a tendency to do sometimes, especially those of us who have been walking with the Lord for a while. We've already made up our mind what we believe. Stay teachable tonight. And let God show us what, what he wants us to see. Because I have to be honest with you, I even learned some things as I dove into this in the depth that we're going to go into tonight. And I know more than everybody else, so that's surprising. So, uh, and thank you for laughing at that. So I'm, I was hoping you would understand that was a joke. Let's begin with where Jesus was quoting from. Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 24. You see how Jesus says, it was also said, uh, as you know, Jesus has been taking the law and taking sections of the law and saying, well, you know, the law said this, but I say. And he's been taking them deeper to a deeper understanding of the purpose of the law and man's sinfulness and inability to keep the law. So he's do he does that now, again, with this topic. We've seen him do it with hatred and anger. We've seen him do it with adultery and lust. And now we've seen him go even further with divorce. And Deuteronomy 24, look at verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then... The former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So this is where Jesus is quoting from in the law. And he says, you know, it was also said that if a man, whoever divorced his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery and whoever remarries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this is where we're going to go tonight, diving into this study here. Now we've got to keep in mind what Jesus has been doing all along. He's been taking, it was said, but then he goes, but I say. And his desire is to show them the law's purpose, to reveal the sinfulness of man and man's need of a Savior. Don't forget that. The purpose of the law is to show you you can't keep it. If you think the purpose of the law is so that we would follow it, you've totally missed the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to reveal that you can't follow it. Now, how God has us find this out is he says, here's what my law says, go do it. And, oh, by the way, how do we do? That's why when the woman was caught in the act of adultery 
And he says, you without sin cast the first stone. And then he turns to the woman and he says, go and sin no more. I can promise you she probably ran from there going, I am never doing that again. Uh, she probably not, maybe didn't make it too far, did she? If you were like me, have you ever said that to yourself? I'm not going to do that again. Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness. I'm not doing that again. How'd you do? Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 19 and 20. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Before we go into verse 20, some of you say, well, that means it's only those who are under the law. If you had gone back to chapter 2, you'll already remember that God said that the, law, the Jews were under the law, but so were the Gentiles. Because even though they didn't have the written law of God, he had written his law on their hearts, and their consciences were convicting or accusing or setting them free. In other words, he said, even if you weren't under the law, written law of God, God's revealed his, the fact that he's a law God to everyone in the world. And it's an interesting thing. Even in prisons, you get guys who would think, who have done murder, who would think, well, that, sex, that child sex offender, that's worse than me. Everyone has a sense of what they think is right and wrong. So when Paul, at this point in chapter 3, goes on and says that the, whoever, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, is it speaking to the, just the Jews or to the whole world? The whole world. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What is the purpose of the law? So that we would keep it and be right before God? Never was the purpose of the law. As you're going to see later in our study, actually the law was given so that we would sin more. So as we go into this study tonight, and I want you, those of you that are, have divorced or have been struggling with this issue, keep in mind that God's law is to show you you can't keep it. So don't sit there. By the way, if you've not been divorced, thinking you're better than anybody else in the room. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 26. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one nulls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, Paul says, the law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, 
until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, I don't have the time to break this down the way I want to because of how much we have to cover on the study of divorce. But let me just say this to you. If you come at a study of divorce focusing on keeping the law, you've totally missed it. The law has been given to reveal our sinfulness. Would we not agree in this whole room that we are lawbreakers and we're sinful people because we are not able to keep the whole law of God like I said, there are people in here who have been divorced maybe more than once. There's others who think, well, I have never been divorced. Well, good for you. How have you done on the other commandments? The Bible also says that if you're able to keep the whole law, yet stumble at just one point, you're guilty as if you broke it all. So, folks, the purpose of what Jesus is doing here when he brings up divorce, as you're about to see, is he's about to talk about an issue in that day which was huge, which was rampant, and he's talking to a group of people that think they're righteous. And he's about to show them, you're not as righteous as you think. And I'm going to show you that through this one area that you guys are dealing with. And you think you're okay, but I'm going to show you you're not. So, we've got to remember the previous context. Remember, Jesus had just said that if you have looked lustfully at a woman, you have committed what? Adultery in your heart. He takes that same attitude, that same concept about adultery, and carries it over. Now Jesus says that any man who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. Unless she's already committed adultery by being sexually unfaithful. Okay? And so what he's really, the onus here is actually on the man in this issue who thinks he's legally okay to divorce his wife. But in doing so, he's making someone commit the, the adultery that he feels he's innocent of. Let me, let me just give you the background that will help you understand where we're coming from. Unfortunately, divorce was rampant in the world at that time. The Romans divorced regularly. I mean, left and right. The husband could divorce his wife at any time for any reason whenever he chose. That's the way it worked, and it happened a lot. If you do a little study of Roman history, you'll find that the Romans divorced quite a bit. Also, in the Arab world, all a man had to do was to say to his wife, I divorce you three times in a row, and she was divorced. The woman had no rights in this issue. She was sent off. Now, the Jews thought they were a little bit better because they would give a certificate of divorce. And they would have to have that certificate handed to the wife in front of two witnesses. But the Jews were divorcing regularly as well. Not only that, at the time of Jesus, there were these two well-known rabbis who were teachers in Israel. And they actually had schools that were underneath them. One of those rabbis was named Shammai. And he actually, his teaching was that Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4 said, the only excuse for divorce was if the woman had been unfaithful. And that was it. There was another one, though, named Hillel. 
And Hillel was a, a, a well-known teacher that had his school as well, and he was a liberal. And he said, the passage says that if he finds anything indecent about her, he can divorce her. And Hillel's teaching was, the woman could divorce her husband if he was displeased with her in any way, like he, she burned dinner or she was disrespectful. Maybe she made bad coffee and that was grounds for divorce. I've been waiting to throw that pun out there all night. But Hillel said that if she could divorce for any, he could divorce her for any reason because the law said if he found anything indecent about her, then that he could just divorce her. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he deals with this topic. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to start take a look at what Hillel has to say or Shammai has to say. What does Jesus have to say about this topic? That should be the most important thing to us. So go with me to Matthew chapter 19, because not only does Jesus touch it on it here in Matthew 5, he actually goes into more detail in Matthew chapter 19. The issue comes up in Matthew 19 as the people come up to Jesus. And as you're about to see, they're about to get him involved in the Shammai Hillel debate. Matthew 19, look at verses 1 through 12. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Am I, uh, I'm in Luke. You know what? Thank you. Luke 19. That's a great. Luke 19 is good. Zacchaeus has nothing to do with divorce that we know of. I might have. That was, that was, no, actually, that was to see if it, Becky was the one paying closest attention. That's, that's awesome. Thank you, Becky. Matthew 19. Let's try again. Matthew 19, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus had finished, I wonder how many verses I would have gotten before I heard Becky go, Jim? All right. Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs themselves for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So Jesus is here, and he's teaching, and they come up and they say, Is it true what Hillel says, that a man can divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus takes it all the way back to creation. He goes all the way back to creation. By the way, if you do a study of the scriptures and you look at the difference between men's roles and women's roles in the church, the issue is not whether or not women can do it better than men or men can do it better than women. If you look at the scriptures, Paul 
through God, takes everybody back all the way to creation for God's design for men and God's design for women and their roles in the church. All of this goes way back to God's original design. And so Jesus actually, <coughs> excuse me, quotes twice here from Genesis. He quotes from Genesis 1.27, where he says he's made them male and female. And he's also quoted from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Go to Genesis 2.24 and take a look. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, let me ask you this question. Looking at what we just saw in Genesis 2.24 and what Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 6, what's been added in verse 6 of Matthew 19? What God has put together, let not man separate. By the way, is it okay that Jesus added to the scripture? He is the scripture. He can write it, whatever. He can say what he wants. What he says, it, it's, it's the word of God. So we've always heard in the wedding ceremonies, what God's put together, let not man separate. That comes from Jesus' own mouth himself. He takes them back and he said, look, let me explain to you. You guys want to get into whether or not he can divorce her because she made bad coffee. You totally missed the whole point. God's plan all along was that he created man and woman in his image. And then he brought them together in a union that he never wanted separated. The only thing that would separate them would be death. And they're to cleave to one another, to become one flesh. And then he says, and what God has put together, don't let man separate. Now, real quickly, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And verses 10 and 11, you'll see Paul actually quotes Jesus a little bit here. Again, another passage where we could spend all night looking at God's teaching through Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 about marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Do you see this? Again, as he's talking about, he goes on and he says the same thing that Jesus is talking about. So, let me ask you this honest question. Was God's plan that divorce ever happen? Never. It was never in God's original design. Now, the Jews now come to him and they say, okay, we hear what you just said that it was God's plan that there never be divorced. Um, why did God, well, why did Moses write in the law that a man could just give her a command that he could give her a certificate of divorce? Yeah, no. Yeah, it's, now we're going to get into something really tricky here, but deep, but stick with me. They said to him, verse 7, then why did, Mo did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus just say that Moses wrote something I didn't want him to write? Good answer. Because if you even go down that road, you're heading into a horrible, horrible section. Because Jesus is not saying, well, Moses wrote that, but I didn't want him to. A lot of people have said that. 
Folks, do you know the danger of taking it that Jesus said that Moses wrote something that God didn't want him to? You're now saying, what other parts of Scripture was Moses and not God? Do you understand what I'm saying? Then, by the way, that is rampant in this society today. There are people saying, well, I believe this is the Word of God. I don't believe this is the Word of God. I know God's Word said this, but I don't accept that. I believe this is God, but there's other things when it comes to homosexuality, whether or not women can marry women or men with men and all this stuff. People will take sections of Scripture and say, I believe this is the Word of God, but this part I don't think it is. Don't go down that road. Jesus was not saying that Moses did something I didn't want him to do. Remember, all of Scripture is God-breathed. Jesus himself is actually quoting from the passage in Matthew chapter 5. That's their problem. But they said, then why did Moses say that you give a certificate of divorce? Why did Moses command divorce? And Jesus is showing them, Moses never commanded divorce. Actually, if you look back, go back to Deuteronomy 24. Look closely at what it's being said here. And by the way, I want you to stick with me here because we're going to end up dealing with a question tonight that's going to give some of you a real curveball. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of her house, his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Is the passage teaching that divorce is okay, or is the passage teaching that if a person has divorced their wife, they're not to ever be remarried after they've married someone else? It's the second one, isn't it? The passage is not commanding divorce. It's giving very specific instructions about if you do get divorced and the person marries someone else and then they want to come back, that's a no-no. Now, so the passage wasn't even teaching about divorce or commanding divorce. It was actually showing, and as Jesus said, that was just allowed because of the hardness of your hearts. Again, what is the purpose of the law? Is the purpose of the law so that we would just do it and be right before God? Or is the purpose of the law to show us the sinfulness of our hearts? That's the whole purpose of the law, to show us the sinfulness of our hearts. We're going to look at that a little bit more a little bit later on tonight. Because of the hardness of their hearts, Moses permitted them to get divorced, but the instructions from God through Moses, when the divorce happened, were so stringent that if that happened, they weren't to be remarried. Well, there's tons of pitfalls all the way around. And that's why the Jews then, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, if the only time that a man can ever divorce his wife is if she's been sexually unfaithful, probably better not to get married at all. Because their attitude was back in that day in the Romans, the Arab world, and also in the Jews was, I can get out of my marriage whenever I want. And when that attitude become, became accepted, the world's, totally missed the whole point of what God was trying to teach them about marriage. 
I don't have the time. I'm going to get right to you in a second, Bill. I don't have the time. I didn't take you there tonight to Malachi chapter 3, where actually God's, actually, we do have time. Go to Malachi chapter 3. I'm sorry, chapter 2. Go to Malachi chapter 2. Look at verses 13 through 16. Last book of the Old Testament. Look at Malachi chapter 2. Look at verses 13 through 16. God's listing a whole bunch of different things that they're doing to show them that they're sinful and they don't realize it. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she's your companion, companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with the portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. God says, let me tell you, you guys have been coming to the altar and weeping and you wonder why your prayers aren't getting past the ceiling? It's because you haven't been where I've designed you to be and you haven't lived like I wanted you to be in your relationship with your wife. You've been faithless to the wife of your youth, this one that I put you together in a covenant, covenant relationship. And you think you're okay. Psalm 60 uh, I think it's Psalm 68, verse 16 says, If I treasure sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, again, we're not here to shame and have say, God's mad at you. By the end of this message, I hope you walk out of here going, Thank God for Jesus. But again, he's showing them, you think you're okay in this area and you're not. You think you've made a loophole and uh, you've actually found a way that it's okay. Or in this situation, I think God will approve it. And you don't understand, God says, I plan all along was that you be one man, one woman until you die. We don't have time to get into the scriptures that talk about God was trying to paint a picture of Christ in his church through the marriage relationship as well. He's got a whole lot of stuff going on. He's wanting godly offspring. There's all these things that he's been doing in this area. And let's be honest, in our day today, how have we done in this area? Just as bad as it was in Roman times. Haven't, can't we just say that that's the case? Oh, before I get to the good news... The only way I can get to the good news is to bring a problem up from this. I don't know how many of you caught it yet. I read to you Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, twice now. Let me say it to you again, paraphrased. The law of God said that if a man divorces his wife and she goes and marries someone else and then she comes back to him, that is sin. Correct? Those of you who have been following along as we've been going through the books of the Bible and studying eschatology and the end times and God's plan for Israel, has anybody caught on yet to the fact that the Bible teaches very clearly, and if you don't know this, I'm going to show it to you, that God divorced Israel and she has been unfaithful and he's going to remarry her? we got a problem. 
God appears to be breaking his own law and how he treats Israel in the future. You say, Jim, I think I'm with you. I'm not quite sure. That's okay. That's what I'm here for. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 3. I'm going to go down this road because as we go down this road, it clears everything else up in this whole debate and study about divorce. Go to Jeremiah chapter 3. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We don't have time for that. Okay. Yep. Yes. Actually, you're quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 22, which is interesting, because in 24 it says, if he divorced her, for, if he finds something indecent her, he's divorced. And Shammai said that it was only if it was sexual immorality, but Deuteronomy 22, just prior to that, I think it's around verse 22, said if someone did commit adultery, they were to be killed. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We're about to read those passages. Yeah, this is a... Yeah. If you remember, the, the law said that that woman brought to Jesus should be stoned. And did Jesus have her stoned? That, he said, those of you without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. We're going somewhere with that. Keep that in mind. Folks, I hope you hear this by the end of this study. We have a God who is a God of grace. We're not under the law. The law is to show us that we're lawbreakers. And like I said, if you've been divorced or you've been divorced two or three times, my prayer is from this moment on that your marriage, whether you're going to be in or in, is the one till death do you part. Well, okay, yeah, that's true. But here's, that's part of it as well, Bill. But listen to what I just said, though. I'm going to make this curveball out, lay it out one more time. The law clearly says if a man divorces his wife and she goes to somebody else sexually and comes back, that's a no-no, that's breaking the law of God. Yet, God, as I'm about to show you, is divorced Israel, she's been unfaithful, and he's going to marry her back. How do Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't break it. Uh, definitely he's going to bring her back when she you're trying to get there but too soon. Hang on with me here. You got to let the whole thing lay out because the answer is awesome. But we got to let and I understand cuz you guys are going in that situation now that I was. I actually called a few of my buddies that I respect and say okay, I got a curve. I'm doing this study on divorce, and I run across something here that's making me go, oh no. I know that every part of this book is God breathed. It doesn't contradict itself, but boy, it sure does seem to contradict itself here. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Jeremiah chapter 3. Look at verses 6 through 18. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the whore. And I thought, after she has done all this, she'll return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw, excuse me, saw that for all the adulteries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went, and she played the whore, because she took her whoredom lightly. She polluted the land committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, 
but in pretense declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all nations shall gather to it to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. Here very clearly in this passage in Jeremiah, God says, I decreed and gave her a certificate of divorce because of her sin, because of her faithlessness. And she went off and was unfaithful to me with all these other people, these other gods. But I'm going to bring her back. Wait a minute, God, didn't Deuteronomy 24 say you can't? Doesn't your law say you can't bring her back? Well, go to Hosea chapter 2. I'm sorry? No, if, if no, no, no. <laughs> Bill, you're right, but let's not get there too quick. We, we, we want to solve the problem so bad. Let's, let's just have it. No, let's let, let's let the truth sink in here for a minute. Because I think part of the problem is we haven't let the truth of our sin sink in enough. Hosea chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 7. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead with her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Again, it's talking about Israel. That she put away her whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked, and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I'll have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge her up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she will say, this is Israel, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. Jump down to verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, God says, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. We know that in the midpoint of the tribulation, Israel's going to run out into the wilderness and be protected. And I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her the vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. And they shall remember 
be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I'll abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I'll make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I'll answer the heavens, they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I'll sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I'll say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Folks, is that not clear? That this passage from beginning to end says, I'm not your husband, but I'm going to bring you back. And I'm going to allure you. And we're going to get remarried. Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Revelation that there's the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's not just for the church, but if you look at the scriptures, Israel is included in that. In the millennial kingdom and in the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem is made up of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It's very, very clear from scripture that God has, because of her unfaithfulness, divorced Israel. But he's not done with her. And at the end of the tribulation period, those that are left, he is going to woo her back. And even though she's been unfaithful and married herself to other men and other gods, she will be brought back. How do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? Because God's word said you can't do that. It seems like God is breaking his own law. The answer is back in Deuteronomy 24. Go back to Deuteronomy 24 and look at verse 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, it says, Then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been what? Defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. I wrote in my Bible right here, God remarries Israel after removing her defilement. You've touched on it. You've touched on it, Susan. You've touched on it as well. God's word shows us. I wrote it in my notes. We do not, uh, the, the key here is defilement. Remarriage is okay when the defilement is totally removed. You see, we still have people out there today that are judging people of whether or not they've been divorced. Unfortunately, there are people that take a passage in Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that talks about the qualifications for the pastors and the elders and the leaders in the church. And some translations say, must not have been divorced. That's not what the actual text says. It actually says that the pastors, those who are going to be in leadership in the church, need to be above reproach as a one-woman man. The Bible is very, very clear that when we sin, we need a Savior. And when we have a Savior, He erases us from what? Okay, how much sin? All our sin. Not just the sin we committed in the past, but the sins of the present and the sins of the future have all been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that we are not to use our freedom as a license to sin and say, oh, I can do whatever I want. But if we are in Christ, all our defilement has been removed and we are no longer under law, but under grace. 
Do you realize when the church today starts judging people of whether or not they've been divorced, they're actually looking at putting them back under the law and whether or not they're able to keep the law. Folks, I can't keep the law. You can't keep the law. The law's purpose is to reveal our sin. What the passages in the New Testament are saying when they talk about this are saying those who are in leadership need to be proven and to be above reproach as men who actually are walking in the Spirit. They're above reproach in the areas of their home life, their sexual purity, their public reputation for the outsiders, and all those areas and how they raise their family. We, unfortunately, over the years, have been doing the opposite of what God's law has been. The purpose of the law was to show us we can't keep it. And once we realize we can't keep it, we run to the Savior and say, I can't do that. I can't be righteous. Would you please give it to me? And he says, it's all forgiven and my righteousness is now yours. And what do we do then? We then start judging each other and say, oh, are you able to keep the law? Well, you weren't keeping the law as good as me. Therefore, I can serve in leadership and you can't. God does not break his law when he remarries Israel in the end. Because when Israel is remarried in the end, we've already saw it. She'll acknowledge her sin. She'll turn to him with pleas of mercy. He'll erase her sin. He'll wash her clean. And when he marries Israel again, there is no defilement. Why did God say that man shouldn't? Because there isn't a man that can erase your defilement. And when you get married and remarried and married and remarried and married and remarried, you're not acknowledging the seriousness of your sin. Does God hate divorce? Yes, he's always hated divorce. I'm not teaching that divorce is okay. But let me just tell you, I'm going to read it to you again. Remarriage is okay when defilement is totally removed. Because God's going to remarry Israel when the defilement is totally removed. The issue is, is your heart seeking the Savior? Or are you trying to judge each other on whether or not they're able to keep the law? When you do that, you totally miss the purpose of the law. What we're going to do in the 15 minutes we have left is I'm going to remind you of some passages you know, maybe show you a couple you don't know. And I'm going to say this to you. Stop trying to make yourself righteous by keeping the law. Stop trying to judge whether or not you're righteous by whether or not you've kept the law, whether you've been divorced or not been divorced. Stop measuring yourself that way. Have your sins been washed through Jesus Christ? Are you walking in the Spirit on a daily basis? That's where we need to be looking. Go to Romans chapter 5. Look at verses 12 through 21. I had a man come when I was speaking up in New Hampshire uh, last summer. He came up, came over to the, uh, the cottage that I was staying in, and he wanted to sit down with me and have me deal with this issue because he felt that someone in leadership should not be in leadership because they'd been divorced. And I tried to share with him these truths from the Scripture, but he was more focused on, no, they've been divorced, they're disqualified. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God washes clean, sets us free, Let's go from here. Again, we should not run to the side of, well, I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. Oh, be careful. Ananias and Sapphira tried that. It didn't last too long. In Romans chapter 5, look at verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, 
but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God and the, sorry, the free gift of the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Oh, that's one of those passages we're going to dive into on the boat in November. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to what? Increase the trespass. Do you realize when we in the church judge each other of whether or not they're keeping the law, we totally miss the purpose of the law? We think we're going to make people more obedient by judging them whether or not they keep the law. The law is just going to make them sin more and make us treat each other worse and beat each other up and judge each other. What did Paul write to each church? He'd say, I've heard of your love for the Lord Jesus and your love for each other. Here's my prayer for you, that you get to know Jesus more and love each other more. That's all that we focus on. Yet most of us in the church today are focused on how we're doing with sinning. Many of you have spent most of your time focusing on not sinning and stopping sinning and trying to do better for God. The first many years of my Christian experiences after I got saved was trying to stop sinning. Sounds kind of crazy, but I spent most of my early years of my Christianity trying to get out of a room I wasn't in. I didn't understand that I had been set free from that. And I was focusing on being righteous before God, even though I know it's forgiven. I was trying to be righteous on a daily basis by not doing these things. And the Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you're not going to do those things. The focus should be on Jesus Christ. Even though the passage in Hebrews chapter 12 says that we're to lay aside every sin that easily entangles and run with perseverance the race that marked out for us and fixing our eyes on Jesus, we've been taught to work focus on laying aside the sin instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus. Folks, let me just tell you, Stop jumping around and judging each other of whether or not they've had a divorce or how many and focus on Jesus and point them to Jesus. And are they walking with Jesus? Oh, and by the way, that same Jesus that lives in you and is working on you and bringing you into his image and he's predestined to conform you in his image. He's working on them, too. Don't you think? Do you feel better when you tell somebody I'm better than you because you're doing this wrong and I'm doing it right? A lot of us think that's what makes us feel better. The law was added so that the trespass increased. But as sin reigned in death, great grace also might reign through righteousness leading to our eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, folks. Would we not agree that Adam's sin, one man sinned, and it passed on to all of us? Would we not agree? Oh, that's good news. Adrian Rogers, by the way, years ago was preaching on this, and he said this. He said, some of you are saying, well, uh, I don't like the fact that Adam sinned, and now I've got sin passed on to me. That's not fair. One man did that 2,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, and, 
And now I'm sinner because of him. That's not right. That's not, I didn't vote for him. And Adrian Rogers says, oh, you want one man's sin to pass on to you. Because if one man can sin and that sin pass, be, be passed on to you, one man can become righteous and that righteousness be passed on to you. And that's what Paul's saying here. Adam's sin and, tres and, and trespass spread to everyone. There came another Adam, the second Adam, Jesus. And he lived without sin. And he was punished for your sin and my sin. And his righteousness has now been passed on to all who would receive it by faith. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 9. There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Folks, the righteous requirements of the law have already been met by Jesus. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, God's not judging us on how well we keep the law. We've been set free from that. Now we're to be focusing on walking with him and praising him and being led of him and thanking him for this righteousness he's given us. And that's where our focus should be. Oh, there's one more passage I can't wait to show you. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 6 through 15. Therefore, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Folks, if you're looking at this whole divorce debate on whether or not people are following the law of God, your focus is in the wrong place. What's the purpose of the law? To show us we can't keep it, to drive us to a savior. If its purpose is to drive us to a savior, why are we spending all of our time arguing over whether or not people are keeping the law properly? Do you see the foolishness of it? The purpose of the law is to drive us to Jesus. That's why when Jesus is there, he's not going through every single law in the Ten Commandments, is he? No, he starts with anger, and he then goes on to lust, and now he goes on to divorce. It's interesting. He seems to be picking. Well, he's picking the ones that's hitting everybody pretty much in the day that he's dealing with. And he's picking things that hit, handle our day. Why was Jesus revealing the depth of man's sin by using the law of God to show the wickedness of man? Was it to shame him? No. But to point them to their need of a Savior. You may have brothers and sisters in Christ who are saved, but are still not walking in accordance with the will of God. Should you be judging them on whether or not they're keeping the law of God, or should you be encouraging them to walk with their Savior? And that's my encouragement to each of you. Go walk with Jesus. If you know Jesus as your Savior, just walk with him. You'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Don't run ahead. Don't drag your feet when he says, let's move. Walk in faith and be someone that drives people to Jesus because we have been set free from defilement. Oh, do I still sin? Yeah. Do I still struggle with temptation? But praise God, I'm not being judged by God on whether or not I've kept the law today. He's just grieved and quenched sometimes when I choose to walk in my own strength instead of his. And I miss out on some of the cool stuff he's got for me when I don't walk in the spirit and I walk in the flesh. But the good news is her, his mercies are new every morning. And he says, if you'll just come home back. James chapter 4. Don't you realize that his spirit is grieved? The spirit that he's put to live within you is grieved when you're a friend with the world. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail, and then turn to Jesus, and he'll wash you. I thank God that I'm not being judged on whether or not I keep the law. Lots of reasons. I could easily say, well, I've never been divorced, so I feel pretty good in that area. Yeah, but have you ever read the law of God, not just the Ten Commandments? Has anybody ever read the whole law? As good as my memory is, I couldn't remember all the things that it said I can and can't do. Thank God I'm not having to worry about that. Thank God Jesus has made me clean, and I now want to walk with him. Again, the purpose of what Jesus is doing here in the Beatitudes is to show a group of people that think they're righteous, they're not. And let me just close with this. If you think you're righteous because you've been a gooder person than the person next to you, you need a savior. If you think you're righteous because you've kept the law better than the other people in your church, you need a savior. If you think you're righteous because you've done better with your life than those heathens on the street and those druggies and those drunkards, you need a savior. 
If you think you're okay with God because you're doing all these good things and those other people aren't, you totally didn't read your Bible because those are the people that Jesus said didn't know him. And it was the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners who Jesus hung out with because they knew they were messed up and they needed him. I pray that you understand the depth of your sin. And he had every right to divorce you and send you away and never remarry you. But just like he's going to do for Israel, he sought you out. He allured you. He wooed you to him. He washed you clean of your defilement, and he's married you forever. I think that's good enough reason to say I love Jesus. I love you all as well. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.